The views and comments expressed on the Space Show by its guests, callers, and listeners belong to them. The Space Show and its hosts serve only as a platform and are not responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the Space Show are primarily for educational purposes. It's the Space Show with Dr. David Livingston. Broadcasting for seven continents, consistently bringing you quality news and interviews with the best and brightest minds in the new space economy. Here is the founder and host of the Space Show, the man who best articulates the vision of space and commercial enterprise, Dr. David Livingston. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday Space Show program. And I'm your host, David Livingston. Thank you very much for tuning in. And one of our favorite and most interesting guests and important guest is with us today, Jim Muncy. And I'll reintroduce him to those of you who are not familiar with him in just a few minutes. A couple of uh, quick messages. We're on a full-length program today, but still do watch your uh, timing and the clock if you want to call and talk to Jim Muncy or get an email in, make sure you're doing that while we're still broadcasting. But today is a full-length program. The other announcement I want to make is that the Tuesday evening program has a slight change, and that is we're going to start at 6 p.m. California time, 9 p.m. Eastern time at the request of our guest, uh, who is a a special kind of JPL instrument engineer, but she also is way out there on lots of different topics and uh, media talking about um, Titan being a great place for space settlement and for humans to go to. I know that's down the road. We've covered that subject with Titan before, but uh, Janelle has written some real interesting things, and uh, it'll be good to have her on the show, but it'll be a 6 p.m., California time start time, 9 p.m. Eastern start time on um, Tuesday evening. And then Wednesday, I'm out of pocket, so as far as I know, there's no Hotel Mars show for that. And then Friday and Sunday are, as usual, space show programs, with Sunday being open lines. All of this is already on our space show website, so you can see the, the upcoming week. And if you have any questions or feedback, please do let me know. And the newsletter, the website newsletter for this program will be posted as soon as this show ends for today. Our toll-free number for those of you who would like to call and talk to Jim is 1-866-687-7223. And he is really looking forward to interaction with you, the listeners, preferably by phone but also by email. So once again, 1-866-687-7223, toll-free number, and then email Dr. Space at the space show.com. And remember, everything we do um, is recorded, so you can listen right off of our website or quickly download the shows. Uh, don't forget, we do have a store for your favorite space show listener, maybe a birthday or something coming up. Just click on any of Pepper listening to the space show photos on our website, and she will take you into our Cafe Press store. Uh, even though our campaign is over with, we are a listener-supported program. And those of you um, who do contribute, keep us on the air. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, and uh, we appreciate your support. And um, 
I wish we didn't always need your support, but we do. So uh, you can do PayPal or you can do checks. Just click on the PayPal link at the top of any of the Space Shell page. Remember, as a nonprofit, if you're a U.S. federal taxpayer, you get a tax deduction. Right now, that would be for 2020. And if you are a California taxpayer, the same thing. You get a California deduction. Check us out at OneGiantLeapFoundation.org. And if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to email me. Remember, the upper left menu tells you how to listen to spatial programs live, uh, archives off our website, and podcast. Again, if you have questions, email me at drspace at thespaceshow.com. In addition to the individual support, we do have sponsors, and they get that banner ad running across the homepage. And on full-length shows, I read a little statement from each sponsor, and I will do that during the break today between the first and second segment. But otherwise, uh, on the shorter format shows, I just give a shout-out. So I do want to shout-out to Northrop Grumman Space Foundation, Astrox, AIAA, Moonwards, Celestis, the National Space Society, and the Space Plan. And then again, during our break, I will tell you what they say in their sponsor promo messages. That brings me to our guest today, and uh, we're really happy to have Jim Muncy back with us, and he is the founder and president of Polyspace. Many of you who listen to spatial programming know Jim, or if you go to conferences, or uh, there's a lot of ways to know Jim. But uh, he has an independent space consultancy, and uh, he has worked to help space entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. Uh, he does all sorts of consulting and work with commercial space, uh, NASA programs, military, and more. He has congressional experience. He's a co-founder of the Space Frontier Foundation. You can read his full bio. It is posted on the Space Show website right now. But we'd rather spend our time talking with Jim and having you talk with Jim at one eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. Jim, welcome back to the Space Show. How are you? Hey, David. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I just want to add my, my uh, comment to David's uh, Please call in. I'd love to talk to people. I uh, like doing this show because there's people out there who are interested in space and uh, are, are trying to learn more about it and what's going on in Washington or in space policy. And uh, at least if you're if you're listening to my show, you're probably interested in space policy. And because um, I can't really talk about settling Titan, I really don't know that much about it. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, I do encourage you to call in and ask questions. Uh, you know, you can start a debate, whatever you want. I'll be, uh, I'm friendly. I won't bite anyone's head off and, uh, um, you know, just jump right in. You would be surprised how many people advocate and strongly believe and talk about settling Titan and how many professional expert guests I've had advocating settling Titan. So it is really far out, and it's even far out to imagine that. But it's got a lot of uh, uh, attraction to people and a lot of interest, and somehow I still don't believe it. So, uh, Jim, uh, I'm really curious, and I know that the listeners are on a couple of things, so I'll, I'll just take the host prerogative. Um, I'm concerned that our efforts to return to the moon will uh, at some point either this year or maybe in a subsequent year before it's it's totally done fall by the wayside like so many other other lunar return efforts 
uh, have done in the past. Uh, is that a possibility with Artemis? Uh, do, do you think we'll see it through to completion well, this time? I, I mean, anything is possible. Right. Uh, and and so it, you know, I could you know, I can see a future where um, whether either a someone who is elected president who has no interest in space or um, view space as a um, you know, just a waste of money, um, you know, as elected president or if Trump changes his mind or whatever, you know. Um, but I think, you know, within certain limitations of sort of practical politics, I think that NASA is trying to do a serious job about actually making progress towards getting there. I think the fact that they have however difficult or implausible uh, a five-year time horizon to to make a difference, to get something done, um, is is useful at focusing their minds and and trying to make progress. Um, I I, I think it's going to be very difficult. Um, I, I personally don't care if they show up in 2024 or 2025, um, but... I don't think we want them stretching it out and, and, and to a point where it does get canceled or, or gets diminished somehow. Um, I, I'm, 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 I'm still not convinced that how they're going to the moon is sustainable in the sense that it's low cost enough that we can scale up our level of activity on the moon to the point where it's uh, if not self-financing, at least producing enough results for the taxpayer that they see that it's, it's beneficial and it's good and it's exciting and it's making a difference. Um, but we'll see. You know, um, we're going to get there with the tools that NASA has at its disposal, um, which will be tools that NASA is investing a lot of money in, plus some tools that are being developed by the private sector. And... Um, I, I, you know, the, we can argue about, you know, whether or not SLS is, an, is a cost-effective rocket or whether NASA should be investing differently or whatever, but the fact is is that we have an SLS program, we have an Orion program, um, and uh, we are investing in the gateway or at least the beginnings of the gateway, uh, and and we will see. Um you know how it comes together, and and how it, and 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 how we, you know, the biggest pro- the biggest challenge, of course, is is a lander program, and and what, you know, what does NASA invest in in terms of commercial partnerships to develop a lander system, um, and, you know, I'm 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 very interested in how how NASA judges the proposals they've received and. You know, we'll, we'll see what they invest in. Um, I think it's unfortunate that you had um, at the NASA Advisory Council and the National Space Council's User Advisory Group and, you know, various other uh, outside review organizations all say two years ago um, in 2018 or, or even in 2017 that NASA's plans for returning to the moon were very slow and uh, very 
cautious and and uh, and to uh, not not exactly emblematic of a great nation. Um, and so the vice president came out and said, "Okay," last year and said, "Okay, we want you to try to get to the moon with people by 2020, by 2024." And the response to that was, "Oh, well, that's a political goal aimed at, you know." Um, Mike Pence's election as president in 2024 or something like that. And you began to see uh, more of a partisan split um, in terms of support for getting to the moon or not. Um, and I think that's been unfortunate. I don't think there's any reason for that. I don't think, I mean, we, we if we're going to have a human spaceflight program, we're either going to go to the moon or we're going to go to a near-Earth or asteroid. We're not going to go to some place that's so far away or so challenging energy-wise like Mars directly. I know that my friend Dr. Bob Zuberin and others would like to go to Mars directly, um, but the fact is we're going to have some – if we're going to sustain it, if we're going to do more than go once, then we're going to have to have some sort of infrastructure, some sort of ecosystem in cislunar space. And so it, if you're going to do that, you might as well go to the surface of the moon. Um, so that's where we're going. And uh, NASA couldn't figure out how to find an asteroid close enough or or, or even go to a li- libration point uh, to see whether there are little pieces of rock there that have accumulated uh, at L4 or L5. So couldn't do that, so we're going to go back to the moon. Um that's, you know, I, I see it as possible. I see it as worthwhile. Um, I see it as, as NASA as trying. Um, and the real question will be, can their culture change enough and can they do things innovatively enough, albeit, you know, carrying Orion and SLS along to get there? So it'll be a challenge. Uh, so if... Um if you were laying odds on this, would you put it more than fifty-fifty as of today? I would. I put it more than fifty-fifty that we're going to get back to the moon this decade. Um, probably much higher than fifty-fifty um, because I honestly think that whether it's um, some combination of nuclear and and and. Uh, and other systems on, by Blue Origin et al. or SpaceX's uh, Starship um, or some other combination of things, I think there will be at least a partially commercial return to the moon no matter what. Um, there will be enough government interest from international governments uh, and probably enough interest from NASA to have some sort of hybrid program. Whether there will be a NASA-led program uh, to do it, um, I think there's more than a 50% chance it will happen this decade. That will happen this decade. Um, I have no idea whether it will happen by 2024, but I think that shooting for 2024 is the only way we will get there at all. If we if we if we keep letting schedules slip uh, and blaming budget resources for that. Um, then we'll never get there. And I think that uh, one of the most encouraging things that 
uh, Doug Lavero, the new AA for human spaceflight at NASA, said when he was appointed was that he was going to treat budget just like any of the other constraints he has to deal with, like radiation or gravity or, you know, other things, you know, that there's, there are limits and there are problems and there, and there's, you know, uh, challenges along the way and budgetary, and, and how much budget you have is one of them. And you have to prepare for the fact that you may not get the budget, the optimum budget you want. Um, and so, you know, historically, over the last, you know, certainly over the last 30 or 40 years, um, NASA frequently would say, well, you know, here's how much, here's how much money it's going to take to do what we want to do, and NASA would get less than that, and then they would have a ready excuse to not perform. And, uh, actually there were some interesting years back in, uh, the middle of the space station era, during the in the early nineties, uh, ladies, early nineties, when they got full funding, and they didn't have an excuse for not performing because they got the budget that they said they needed, um, and there was a lot of pressure on them to actually perform in those years. Um, well, another thing of interest is the space force has been approved. Do you? See it being fully operational in 2020? Do you, do you see roadblocks ahead for it or, or uh, lack of cooperation? Well, I think, the, I think the important thing is to decide what the Space Force is going to be. I mean, I don't think there are a lot of issues almost at the vision level and certainly at the strategy level of what is the Space Force? What are we trying to create? Are we just taking the space elements, the space operations and space uh, acquisition elements of, of the Air Force and moving them into a different box that is parallel to the Air Force under the Secretary of the Air Force that is separate and therefore can't, basically a bank that can't be robbed by the Air Force to pay for fighters. Um, if that's all... If that's all we're going to see, then it's not really, I don't think it's achieving what the people who wanted to create the Space Force, whether it's the president or the bipartisan champions it had in the, in the House and the Senate. Um, I, think, I, think, I think that there's potential for the Space Force to be a truly strategic and enabling um, uh activity that can support space settlement. I think that the right space force um, will be figuring out how we could leapfrog in, in a whole suite of technologies so that we are, you know, partnered with, you know, so the, Air, the space force is partnered with co- the commercial sector that's happening in, in, in many segments of the space marketplace, um, not just launch, not just, you know, networks of satellites. Um, but other things as well, and we could we could we could see a real uh, transformation of of how we do space militarily, and that doesn't mean space fighters. That doesn't mean you know Star Wars. That means um, that means um, sort of leapfrogging our current generation of how we do things in space militarily, which the Chinese and the Russians have 
been making lots of investments to threaten. And if we can basically jump past what we've been doing for the last 30 years and do something very different and very much more agile and, and, and much more distributed and much more uh, fast-paced, then not only will we help our national security, we'll also help our national economy and, and arguably help our national manifest destiny of, of expanding uh, American civilization into space. Uh, you have an email from listener Karen in in uh, Seattle, Washington, and she says, "Do you think the people making policy and implementing some of the decisions that you've been talking about care what China is doing, and does that influence them in any way?" Yes, I think I think um, people at NASA care. I think people in the obviously in the national security community do. Um, I don't know that it is um, that it is really necessarily equivalent or analogous to the way America was afraid of what the Soviets were doing in the early '60s and mid '60s. Um, I think it's more because um, I don't think we're in a race in the sense of a sprint. Um, to meet some arbitrary uh, technological goal. I think we see the Chinese as not just investing in space as a nation and as a government, but we also see them starting to privatize some space activities and harnessing sort of their mixed economy commercial you know, and private sector motivations. You see, for example, a whole range of new small launch companies being established in China, and yes, some of them have technological backing or even some financial backing from the various state agencies that are involved in space, uh, but also a lot of them are getting money from Hong Kong and, and other financial markets, and um, to, to the extent China is willing to do in space what they have done in you know, large-scale consumer electronics and, and other industries, you could see uh, a real, uh, uh, I don't want to say an American style, but at least a much more private sector-empowered uh, national effort in China. And that is much more of a threat to us than um, a, a, you know, and an, a nation-state just organizing its governmental resources in space. Um, I mean, if they get their whole culture behind it, they have a lot of people in China, and they have a lot of smart people in China, and a lot of a lot more engineers than we have in this country. And if they if if space becomes where really smart young Chinese people go to work because they can go make money and get rich in space, uh, or just lead in technology and, and help the government uh, in space or whatever their goals are, um, we will have a fight on our hands. We will have, you know, there will be a question as to whose system is the dominant source of political values and freedoms and, and other things that we care about in, in our Western culture, uh, whether those will be true in space or not.
Um, interesting. You, you have an, another email, and listeners, let me again throw out the phone number, one eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. So Todd is in San Diego, and he says, I hear lots of people, even on the space show, talk about the fact that NASA can't advocate or be part of space settlement because they're not legally allowed to do that. I don't understand why that is so, and if it is true, what has to happen to change that? Okay, so let me let me first of all deal with the, the the immediate substance of the question. There is nothing stopping NASA from advocating for space settlement or doing things that would make a you know technically or scientifically or even economically that would make a, a substantial contribution to space settlement. There is not an agreed upon legal or other policy document, you know, that says it's NASA's job to do that, so lacking a, a sort of political mandate to do it, um, and perhaps a legal or political permission slip to do it, um, if, you know, NASA doesn't automatically think about that. But I would argue that is a cultural problem within NASA as much as it is a, as a legal or political problem. And here's what I mean. For 60 years, we've had a civilian space agency that was at the forefront of space science and technology and exploration um, as a symbol of American can-do spirit, American technological leadership, America's economic prowess, um, and America's just belief in itself that we could do things no one else can do. Um, so NASA as an organization and, its, and many of its employees see themselves as the nation's point man or point organization in space. If space is going to be done, it's going to be done by NASA. Yes, there are more pedestrian things in the sort of shallow water of space that the commercial sector can take over, like smaller launch, you know, medium-sized launch, and obviously communication satellites and even, even remote sensing satellites and things like that. But the state-of-the-art advanced remote sensing has to be done by NASA, and, you know, obviously human spaceflight is primarily a NASA function, and certainly human space exploration beyond Earth orbit is, is NASA's area, uh, and, and where NASA has unique expertise and a unique ability to do. And so they identify themselves as the, as, and the space program as 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 the agent of the country in space. Um, that's not how settlement works. Um, you know, that 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 isn't how um, you know that that isn't how um, any civilization has led to you know long term peaceful economic beneficial economically beneficial uh, spread of civilization, uh, either into areas where there were no people or into areas where there were existing people. Um, centrally planned organizations don't do that very well. Um, 
And so a government agency is not going to ever be in the business uh, of, of saying we want there to be a 1,000 people living on the moon, and therefore we're going to make that happen um, because they just don't do that, okay? Um, they don't need a 1,000 people on the moon to do what they want to do for, for lunar exploration and for preparing to go to Mars. So it's sort of irrelevant to their plan. Um, and that's the problem. They don't see it as their job. They don't see themselves as fundamentally needing to be in partnership with the American economy and with the American uh, population and with the uh, whole culture of our country. They see themselves as doing space for us, not doing space with us. And because of that, they see the goals that we would have for space, like settlement, like fundamentally dramatically lowering the cost of a person living on the moon for a year as, as, too, as so far out and unnecessary for what they're doing as to be, if not politically dangerous to talk about, at least not relevant to their core mission. And that's the problem. Problem is, is that NASA isn't going to do space settlement, won't do space settlement, doesn't want to do space settlement, doesn't think space settlement is relevant, and we shouldn't want NASA to do space settlement for us. What we should want is for NASA to help lead the way and help enable the migration of free people and and, and our enterprises to the moon and to the libration points and to various. Uh, places that we construct in Earth or in various Earth orbits and 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 all the way to Mars and then beyond. That that's how settlement happens. You know, there's a uh, this is a somewhat politically incorrect, but I I I I've told this story before. In the late 1400s, one culture, one civilization that was very strong, Spain, um, really led the opening of the South American continent to, to, to humans from the West, from Europe. Um, and they got all the way to Florida and, you know, many places in South America. Um, they were not terribly nice to the people that they, they encountered. They had superior technology. They also brought along smallpox. Um, uh, which, which, while well, people obviously from Spain got sick, of, they had, they had some defenses against diseases like smallpox, and the Native Americans had no, no defenses. Um, and they ran into cultures that not only were organized and established and, and prosperous, but had done things like collect gold. In other words, the gold wasn't even in the ground anymore. It was, had been collected, and refined and turned into artisanal and other things. And they got to collect that gold at the, at the force of guns, okay, and take it with them back to Europe. 120 years later, a much smaller power, less, less, less established militarily, although very, very strong in terms of, of its naval power, Great Britain, Open North America, along with France and others. 
they did not do it the way the Spanish did. It wasn't done by the British Army the way South America was by the Spanish Army. Okay? It was done by entrepreneurs and religious you know, pilgrims and a whole bunch of decentralized people who got charters from the crown to establish colonies in North America. Now, they, too, weren't very good in terms of how they treated the native population. But there was no gold on the East Coast. There were no huge riches other than pelts of animals that they they found early on. So there was no huge economic advance advantage other than land um, and perhaps good farming, okay? It was 120 years later. Now, flash forward 400 years. Which experiment worked? Did the central planning of the Spanish army and how they opened South America work? Or did the decentralized British model in North America work. Last I checked, the migration is still headed north. Um, yeah, and it's not headed south. That's unless they're going to Florida. So my so my so my so my point is is that that's how settlements happen. Settlement happens when people freely on their own are enabled to go to a new place and turn what they find into resources and create their own institutions and their own domiciles and their own communities and their own things like that. Now, again, there were, there were absolutely, you know, by today's, um, by today's morality and by today's social ethos, bad things done by both cultures, both the Spanish centrally planned culture and the British decentralized culture. I'm not comparing them morally. I'm saying that one had a different economic or and social organization paradigm and started later and had to tr- actually had to cross the entire continent in two centuries to find gold. Okay? So there was no, you know, there were no spices, there no, there were no promised East Indian riches to find on the coast of Virginia. Um part of the Listener's question was, is there anything we can do about NASA not being that supportive of settlement? The only thing we can do is try to get a national policy that says it is the U.S. government's policy. It is the U.S. government's obligation. It is the U.S. government's charter to enable the settlement of the space frontier. And there's a role in that for NASA. There's a role in that for the Department of Commerce. There's a role in that for the Department of Transportation, just as there's a role for lots of departments in the expansion and advance of commerce here in North North America. So, you know, it will look very much like the regular economy. But we have to see that that's actually what this is all about. And so there needs to be a sort of a national, broader than NASA. It cannot just be about NASA. NASA will have an important role to play, but NASA is not going to do this for us. 
you have a caller patiently waiting on hold. So. Please. Hi, caller. Thank you so much for being patient and waiting. And who are you and where are you, please? This is Michael Listener, and I am not patient. But I hung on until I hung on hung anyways because that was an interesting conversation Jim had. And actually, Jim, my question you you partially answered what my question is going to be. But I I want I want you to could you elaborate further on what people mean by when they when they mean space settlement? I mean people going to space and migrating there and finding things that they can do economically there, either, either as part of trade with other people in space or trade with people living back on the surface of the Earth that allows them to be able to afford to stay in space. That's what I mean. Okay. And, that, and that, that's probably a pretty succinct one. And, and I ask this because, you know, when I, I, don't, I don't do a lot with the space settlement community, but I get a lot of, you know, I, I get a lot of vague answers about, you know, what 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 their idea of space settlement is, and we get into property rights, which is, you know, it just makes. I, I mean, I talked about this ad nauseum. You know, what what do you mean by property rights? And a lot of people refer to the homesteading, you know, the Homesteading Act uh, back in the 1800s with with the West and and, and such. And uh, I get a lot, of, I get a lot of vague answers, but I think you had a very succinct answer in in, in what you just. Uh, responded to my question with and what you discussed earlier. So uh, I, I guess my overall reason for asking that question is before you can really push for space settlement, you've got to define what you mean by space settlement. Well, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I could also define it in terms of thousands of people living in space, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. But they can't be paid to be there by the government, by taxpayers, as sort of a, a national symbolic gesture, mm-hmm. okay? They have to be, you know, in some way generating value, and it could be got value for the government as well as value for private customers and private investors, okay? Mm-hmm. But they have to be generating some value that's important uh, enough to keep doing it, okay? So, I mean, if... Um, I'll give you an example. If NASA wants to do extensive testing of what it's going to be like for astronauts to move around the surface of Mars and move around and do drilling and do exploration and put machines together and repair machines uh, when they break and stuff like that, they would do worse than to say, Go build us a great big vacuum, you know, big dome, okay, or a big inflatable structure or whatever on the moon so we have a sandbox on the moon to play with mm-hmm. or, or, or some set of things like that. Well, question, is it, but is it, is it the, does a, does a sandbox, and I, and I like that term, I think I might use that in the future when we're talking about this, is, and I'll definitely attribute it to you, um, is, is the, 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 do the people who are in the sandbox own the sandbox to the exclusion of everybody else? I mean, that's well, any, whoever creates the sandbox mm-hmm. as a structure, as mm-hmm. a physical structure, as infrastructure. Okay, mm-hmm. will own that that what what they call in space law terms an artifact. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that will be privately owned. But is and but and, is, and, but is and they will let NASA use it to mm-hmm. do stuff 
when NASA pays them. Mm-hmm. And there will be some number of people that will have to live there on the moon, probably getting hard-duty pay, although I would probably do it for free, um, to help keep the equipment working so that NASA gets whatever goods and services it needs to have its laboratory working to learn things on the moon. Mm-hmm. But I don't see. I don't want NASA to learn how to have a facility on the moon. I want NASA to buy it and say, "What, are, what does NASA need to do to learn how to go to Mars and how to play around on Mars? And where could we do a test version of our Mars base? Just do it on the moon, okay? And you know, taking into account the difference between lunar regolith and Martian soil, and you know, things like that, and and one six G versus what forty percent G, and you know those things. So, you know, if 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 that's what NASA wants to do, you know, I'm perfectly willing. By the way, as soon as we have enough propellant depots and things like that there for people to go to go to Mars, if they want to take their you know if they want to take the radiation risk and they they've got a low cost way of building structures on Mars that that has shielding, go for it. So I don't know that we need to have all that, all that, you know, sandbox activity on the surface of the moon. But if NASA wants to do that, I'm perfectly willing for them to have that. I just don't want them to build it themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that that will cause there to be a very small settlement of commercial operators of a sandbox living on Mars. Now, if there's going to be a far side observ- astronomical observatory on the on the far side of the moon, okay, whether it's a radio radio observatory or just a a, a normal optical one, great. Who's going to keep the equipment working? You know, who's going to, who's going to, who's going to feed the people? Who's going to, you know, who's going to, who's going to do whatever needs to be done, you know, to the extent that there needs to be human beings involved? Those people constitute part of a settlement. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. And I, and I bring this up. And oh, by the way, you know, obviously, bases in Leo and bases in Geo and things like that all count as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I agree. But and I, what, why I bring this up and really harp on it a little bit is because when I talk to people in, in settlement, you know, people's minds are back into you know, like I said, homesteading, and you know, basically where the government said gave away land out west, so you can, you, if you take this land and develop it, it's yours. And I don't, and I think a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people in the settlement community think along those same lines. Oh, if I go up under this tract on the moon and develop it, the tract belongs to me, to the exclusion of everybody else. And I think it's given the current framework, the international framework we have, that it doesn't quite work that way. So settlement is kind of settlement is really. I can't think of another word, but it's, it's definitely got, has to be redefined or, re, or looked at differently than, you know, it was back in the days of exploration when the New World was um, being, well, colonized for all, uh, for all practical manners. And uh, I think that is one of the biggest challenges is I think you have a good, con- you, you have a good idea what settlement is, but I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people in, in the settlement community who to think, well, you know, if I go up and grab it, not only is the structure mine, but the land is mine, and I can exclude other people. And well, as long as your artifact is there and you're using it, okay, you know, Article 9 of the Outer Space Treaty argues that no one should interfere with your activity in space. 
So if yeah. someone I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a big Article Nine fan. I because I really that that would be that would there, be an application of there, it. I've heard that gotta, used before. You can't take, you but that, can't use some of it. None been. of it. You gotta take the whole treaty as it is. I mean that's well, that's what. Yeah. That it is, would, it always worked that way either. Some exclusive use. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. you know, should we go beyond that? Should we come up with you know other other other. Uh, Bilateral arrangements and things like that 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 space-faring nations can do that 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 recognize some sort of property rights. I I think so. But some smart lawyer, it might have been you, it might have been someone else, told me that there's like nine different elements to property, or nine different aspect legal distinct legal you know characteristics of property. Okay, mm-hmm. and that. There's no problem giving you like six of the nine of them, okay, in space, under the Outer Space Treaty. You just don't have the state sovereignty over the land to grant you, you know, title to it and some other things. But I don't, I don't remember what those are. I'm not a space lawyer. I don't want to play one on, on the web. And, um, but, but, but I, you know, but I think there's, there's going to be a certain amount of, Figuring this out as we go along. That's a very American way of doing things. I'm sorry that the French like to plan everything ahead. Too bad. Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to come along and 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 and, and see whether any of their grand uh, grand uh, artificial baroque uh, concepts work out or not, great. But you know, I, I'm 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 for I'm for trial and error. Well, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of in your camp too because I'm basically saying, you know what, um, basically, well, like with things like the Outer Space Treaty, it's a matter. Of, well, you know, it, it isn't what what it says. It's a matter of what we think it should say based on what the uh, geopolitical realities are. Well, there's there's always going to be realpolitik along with the the international law. I oh, don't yeah. want to get my friends at the at the uh, um, you know at the. Uh, uh, in the in the community of, of space survivability and and, and um, I can't even remember what the other term of art is, um, but um, you know I I think we can work this out. I don't think it has to be a big deal. What what we can't do, and what some people in this space community would like to do, and we can't do it unless we you know break out of the outer space treaty or do something else. Okay, is say aha. Our LRO, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, has observed deposits of thorium here, okay? Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you want the economic rights to develop that thorium and create a lunar reactor that generates electricity without having had to launch a lunar material, I mean, excuse me, a nuclear material, on a rocket, just launch a reactor without any lunar, any nuclear material, and then you take it to the moon and you load the thorium in, and you can have a reactor. We can't do that. We can't say, what do we bid for the thorium? Mm-hmm. You know, thorium mine, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't, can't, we can't. Now, if, if there are U.S. companies that want to build a thorium mine, we can bloody well go to the international community and say we have a U.S. company that plans to go to this place on the moon. If anyone else is planning to go there, please tell us because we don't want to interfere with what you're doing and we don't want you to interfere with what are doing. But that's all we can do. It's, it would look really weird if we were, like, auctioning off lunar plots. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it would be, it would definitely rankle a few people. So, but but there's you know there are some things we can do to to enable those 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 sorts of beneficial activities on the moon, and that should be the goal. The goal should be how do we get people who have ideas for turning the resources of the moon into key elements of a viable lunar economy. That's mm-hmm. what we want. We want people. You know, using the moon as as creatively and intelligently and innovatively as possible to generate economic activity that further com- contributes to a cis lunar economy, um, and then that you know will have its own you know opportunity to trade with the terrestrial economy and back and forth, mm-hmm. and then we'll make you know. She, you know, movies on sci-fi about it and call them, you know, Expanse. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was just kind of, I was just thinking about the Expanse. I thought, you know, this is this is a this, this is a show that really cut, you know, really cuts the meat raw as far as the realities of, you know, this is real life and these are the things at play and it's not all roses and unicorns. Right, and and you know. I mean, and, you know, the, the Belters can have control of theories, okay? The Belters can have control of asteroids, and what good does that do them? If Mars doesn't want to provide things or the Earth doesn't want to provide things that they need, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I agree. Jim, it's always have, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Next time in D.C., I'm, I'm, I miss those onion rings. Ah, Ah, <laughs> so next time in DC, I'll let Free you know if we can head over to Montana Grill. Yes, yes. Okay, uh, Michael, thank you very much for your call. You're welcome. Okay, uh, listeners, Michael has uh, gotten off of our line. The toll-free number is eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. And Jim, we're uh, beyond the typical break point. I'll read my sponsor messages real quickly. Go right ahead, uh, listeners. Um, Go ahead and call. We answer the phone. Put you on hold real quickly. One eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. Email remains Doctor Space at the Space Show dot com. And uh, we already have a call, so I made Michael wait. I'll I'll take the call and read the the sponsor messages in a second. Uh, hi, caller. Welcome to our program. Who are you? Where are you? And thank you for calling. This is John. I'm walking the dog in Fremont. Perfect. You can do that on the moon someday. <laughs> Hopefully, get your um, get your dog to the moon. There you go. Yeah, and you'll uh, and you'll have to clean up after your dog because the the poop will be valuable. I know. Okay, you yeah. need that. We you can, know, it won't it be a sure. matter of just you know not upsetting your neighbors. It'll be you want the money for that for that bioorganic that, equipment. That's right. We can so. we can sell the dog poop. I hadn't thought about that. Go for it, Fremont. Okay, so um, this is a very interesting discussion. Um, you know, at one point when I did Mark Storm, we were trying to lobby Congress toward uh, changing the charter of, of NASA to include settlements. And it sounds like maybe we've, we're rethinking that. So is... Well, I don't want to speak for the Space Frontier Foundation or the National Space Society, but I just think that they are they're realizing that that you could it, it it I I have no problem whatsoever with changing the NASA charter so that it reflects that space settlement is a national goal 
and that NASA should do the things within its job jar to support um, space settlement. So that when it, you know, conducts space transportation activities, when it when it does human space exploration, uh, everything, you know, if it had to do everything it was going to do in a way to maximally contribute to space settlement, that would be fantastic. So... You can, you can argue for that, you know, sort of hortatory strategic goal to be there for NASA as a policy goal. But then, of course, if you start arguing that they have to do that and stop doing things that they're doing, you know, you will run into the Appropriations Committee and other people who want money spent in a certain way no matter what. I mean, um, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, and this is not a NASA example, it's a DOD example, um, it became absolutely clear that um, a, a particular DOD program for basic wideband satellite communications for the military uh, was pretty expensive, and there, were, there was this whole hungry industry of, um, of satellite makers and satellite owners that wanted to provide, uh, you know, um, secure, you know, uh, uh, encrypted uh, communications via satellite to the Defense Department. And there was a lot of effort to, um, to for NASA, for the, for the Air Force and, and other parts of the military to figure out how to buy Spectrum, how to buy, uh, you know, services from that industry, and not just buy them at the spot price, which is often too expensive, but buy it in bulk ahead of time so that they have the spectrum they need for, you know, remotely piloted vehicles, drones, and things like that. And that was great until the Appropriations Committee came along at the very end and said, it doesn't matter that you're talking about all this commercial spectrum. You will build two wideband gap filler satellites. You will go build two more of the government-owned satellites that are derived from one of the companies one of the commercial companies, commercial offerings, but are done, sold to the military. So uh, basically an earmark for one company's satellite um, nuked the, the, the whole idea that, NASA, that, that the Air Force was going to buy services commercially. And that's telecommunication services. That's not, you know, we're not talking about the kind, the, the kind of telecommunications required in a nuclear war for command and control. We're talking about basic satellite telecommunications for video. And if you can't privatize that, you can't privatize much. And so you will, you know, we can create this expectation, this goal for NASA and for other agencies, but then you have to actually say, okay, we need to live up to that. You need to, you know, you need to then force NASA to to make decisions consistent with that policy. So it's not the end of the effort; it's the beginning of the effort to go and change NASA's charter. Sorry for that long story, sir. Go ahead, keep talking. No, that's uh, that's good. So, so going back to the model of uh, Spain or or Britain, um, so. Private private parties are going to pave the way, and we we want to lobby 
Congress and the government to provide the regulatory framework and, and the infrastructure to support that, as well as the space force to protect it. Right. But it's the private parties that are going to pave the way. That's, I think that's what's sustainable. I don't think making it totally a government effort is sustainable over the long term. And the question is, is, is NASA willing to do those things as part of human space exploration that are not only consistent with, but even supportive of and enabling of those private commercial activities. And we're, we're, we're right in the middle of figuring out whether NASA can do that in low Earth orbit as they figure out how are they going to get past the International Space Station. And there's a lot, you know, when the space station runs out. And everyone knows that the space station isn't going to last forever. But there's a tremendous amount of pressure and interest in having the space station last as long as possible because companies make money supporting the space station. Good companies, bad companies, I mean, all com- lots of companies, okay? Commercial cargo companies, commercial crew companies, etc. The question is, is can you find a way to for NASA to create a market of its demand for a national laboratory in space that is independent of the space station, so that while the space station is there and while NASA chooses to utilize the space station, it can be expressed to the space station, but then as soon as other facilities become available, NASA, you know, exercises that demand and buys goods and services elsewhere as well. And that's, that's what we're figuring out, whether NASA can do that. And when I say do that, can do that is like, as an institution, as an organization, can NASA make that change in how they do things? Okay. Well, um, good discussion. I'll uh, clear the line for someone else to join in. And, uh, John, thank you for all the guest suggestions you've been sending. I, I really appreciate it, and we'll be acting on them this coming week. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for your call. Uh, listeners, John is uh, off the line, and it is available one Eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three, and uh, I want to um, thank our sponsors. So let me take care of that. But uh, we do answer the phone uh, during the break, so don't let that stop you from calling. Uh, one of our sponsors is Northrop Grumman, uh, and they uh, have all sorts of extraordinary portfolio capability from undersea to outer space and cyberspace, and we're uh, very, very thankful of their sponsorship for the space show. The Space Foundation sponsors us, and uh, they have their big event coming up, um, and it's March 30th to April 2nd in Colorado Springs. Uh, It's the 36th Symposium, and uh, if you've never been to one, you ought to be uh, at at least one. Uh, To find out all about it and get your reservations made, it is spacesymposium.org. Astrox, our newest sponsor, uh, has been involved in hypersonic work and reusable rocket designs for the Air Force, DARPA, and NASA for more than 30 years. They have high side and space side and um, do a lot of analysis for those designs and other designs. And you can visit their website for more information, astrox.com. AIAA sponsors us, the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. And it is the largest aerospace professional organization. Remember, five main 
big events a year, but lots of regional breakfast meetings, luncheon, dinner meetings that you can attend. You can possibly even be a speaker at some of those, depending on your area of interest and expertise. Uh, a peer-reviewed library going back for decades, which you can access. You do not need to be an engineer to join it, AIAA.org. Moonward sponsors us, and uh, they're redeveloping their website, and we'll hear from Kim in the very near future about that. But um, she's determined to build a sort of virtual uh, community on the moon and then uh, base those decisions on technical and economic merit. Uh, Moonwards has that digital vision of that t- town or city, and you can learn to play, build, and go to events on the moon. Visit moonwards.com to download an early draft of the demo of the town and to find, excuse me, to fund its development by subscribing and help us see the world with a bigger future where we can leave our past behind us. Celestis sponsors us, and they're still uh, the only Memorial Space Flight server, and they've been around for decades now, and they've um, taken my mom and dogs on three flights, and we're waiting to go on their lunar mission, which uh, I believe is now set for fourth quarter 2021. They are coming up with a fourth quarter Cape Canaveral Earth orbit mission on a Falcon 9, and they continue to do up aerospace suborbital missions from Spaceport America in New Mexico. And you can include some of your DNA with the ashes or the DNA of your loved one and symbolically make the journey with them. Uh, for a lot more information, visit Celestis.com. The National Space Society sponsors us, and uh, they do great events like ISDC, and they do have a space settlement workshop conference in Santa Monica every year, and you can get a lot more information on what they're doing. NSS.org will still get you to their website. And then the Integrated Space Plan sponsors us. Remember, this is the detailed development chart uh, showing the path to becoming a space-faring race. Technologies and destinations build upon one another. And on the virtual plan on the website, you can expand the elements uh, in, into hundreds of different possibilities. You can buy your own copy. Uh, it is inspiring and useful and instructional. So find out all about it at thespaceplan.com. And Jim Muncy is with us today, and uh, we're taking your emails at drspace at thespaceshow.com. And then in addition, you can call us on any topic, one 687 7223. And um, Jim, is the space settlement need to um, ha- have some kind of congressional support behind it or at least awareness of it? Um, or do we really need to worry about whether there's anything out of Congress for, for or against space settlement? Well, I think we need, I think people need to engage with their member of Congress and engage with um, uh, other office holders and say that we should be spending the $20 billion plus we're spending every year on NASA and, uh, and some other funds we're spending elsewhere in order to actually... Know, beneficially and peacefully expand our civilization and our culture and our economy 
into space. And ultimately, that will lead to people living and working in space. And, and therefore, that the measure of a good space policy or a good space program is, does it, is it aligned with, is it going to help accelerate uh, that kind of advance of our culture and our, and our civilization? Um, I would argue that that whole conversation, that whole idea that there will be people living and working in space uh, is largely missing from the Washington uh, community and from the space policy community um, because so many people are aligned with this notion that NASA, you know, at least in civilian terms, is, is the be-all and end-all of space. And, and so... They don't see, they don't think about space settlement. They don't think about the goal of, 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 of making it possible for thousands of people to live in space and millions of people to live in space. Um, they aren't necessarily against it, but they haven't thought about it. It's not what they talk about. It's not what they think about. Um, and, um, you know, what they have is NASA. They have a space agency that we've had for 60-plus years, and it exists. And there's a certain political momentum to it or inertia to it. And there's a certain institutional inertia to it. And there are vested interests that get money from it. And some of those vested interests are aligned with commercial ways of doing business that would be enabling of and supportive of space settlement, and some of them aren't. And... That's life. That's how you know we've, we've organized ourselves in basically in a in a, in a government you know project uh, structure for space for you know all six decades of our history in space and and so it's not it's not surprising that that's what we have but there's also a lot of stuff going on now that the American people see. You know, Elon Musk has a whole lot more resonance than any names of astronauts, except for maybe Buzz Aldrin, um, and 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 similarly Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. So the question is: is can we start to say that you know really space has to be about people and sort of democratize it? And I think that's. I don't think that there's necessarily going to be a lot of intellectual resistance to that. There may be some psychological resistance to that. Um, but it's, it's absolutely um, what people should talk to their elected officials about and just start to get them to think of it that way. Um, because they're not hearing about it from NASA. They're not hearing about it from you know, uh, Lockheed or Boeing or even necessarily commercial companies um, because everyone is necessarily focused on their own, you know, near to midterm agenda. It seems like it's a, a massive educational outreach job to even get on the docket to uh, have a national forum for space settlement. Uh, I'm not sure how you would accomplish that. Well, but. I mean, I, I, but I would see. I would argue that, 
and I'm certainly not embracing it in all of its manifestations, but I would argue that a lot of the Twitter sphere on space is talking about exciting things like Starship and Falcon 9 and New Glenn and New Shepard and Spaceship 2 and, and uh, you know, missions to asteroids to find out what materials are in them and, you know, commercial missions to land on the moon and, and things like that. All of those are part of and consistent with and enabling of space settlement. So we should be talking about all those and saying this is really important, not just because it's cool technology, not just because Elon Musk is rich, but because it's going to make it possible for thousands and then millions of people to go live in space. And, and just so that all of that existing discussion and, it, it, you know, existing um, sort of cultural, you know, noise is really aligned with and supportive of what we want. Uh, I have an email uh, from you. Uh, Randy is in Houston, and uh, Randy says, I hope my email is okay rather than phoning in. Uh, switching the topic a little bit, Jim, uh, is there anything on the docket that you see in 2020 that might be very, very meaningful for either commercial space to continue to grow and prosper or the space settlement issue? Well, obviously, 2020 is going to be most very significant because you're going to see hopefully four different companies launch four different vehicles into space, two into suborbital space and two into orbital space. And I'm, when I say space vehicles, I mean vehicles carrying human beings. And we will never have a as big a threshold of activity in space as a year when four new vehicles for accessing space come online. I mean, that's a huge thing. And it just so happens that they all seem to be coming together this year. Um you know, obviously, both SpaceX and Boeing have work to do on their on their on their on their systems, uh, but you know, things are happening, and um, and I think both of them will get off flights with people this year. Um, absolutely, you know, obviously, Virgin's already flown people to space uh, on Spaceship Two, uh, including a space flight participant, um, but. There will be, you know, hopefully flying customers this year, and, and I believe that Blue Origin will fly customers this year as well. Uh, first, probably a test crew and then customers. I don't know anything about that. I just, you know, I'm guessing that that's what they're going to do first. Uh, and and when it becomes more possible for people to go into space, then really we will have, you know, 18 years after Congress passed legislation or 16 years after Congress passed legislation to create a, the right legal and policy and regulatory framework for it, um, we will see it finally come into come into existence, and that's huge. And so, you know, that's 
and 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 you know some of it you know hopefully all of it will ha- come off safely hopefully there won't be any accidents hopefully every, every you know everything will go fine but even if it doesn't even if there is a challenge with one or more of the vehicles the fact is is that we now have a broad front effort at both the suborbital and the orbital level um, to make it possible and affordable for people to go into space. Now, it's not affordable so that you and I can go to orbit next week, but it's possible, okay? Um, you know, you could, with a, you know, some amount of training, perhaps a few weeks, you know, get on a, a, a crew dragon or get on a, 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 you know, if you had, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and there's a whole lot of people with tens of millions of dollars to spend. Uh, it's really amazing how many rich people there are now. Um, so, and, and, you know, just as you can now see middle schools flying experiments to the space station via nanoracks or, or, or other, other service providers, you know, as it, becomes cheaper and cheaper to do things in space and cheaper and cheaper for people to be there in space, you will find, you know, new providers and, 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 and new ways of doing things to get it become even cheaper than that. So we just needed to get the marketplace started, and 2020 is going to be the opening of that commercial space, human spaceflight marketplace. And um, I've been, a lot of us have been waiting for it for a long time. So, um, so the pump is primed, as you might say. I'd say the pump is primed. I'd say that you know some very smart people at at four companies and 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 other companies as well that are supporting them um, uh, are 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 ho- I believe going to to uh, achieve a real breakthrough for humanity this year, and that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, for our species, for our, our country, for our economy, uh, as well as for our space program. You have another caller. Uh, hang on. Good afternoon, caller. Welcome to the show. Who are you and where are you? Thank you again for calling. Uh, this is Marshall uh, out in the big flatlands of Oklahoma where we grow all the food. Okay. And Go for that it. That leads into my question of, uh, gee, uh, the Spanish basically went looking for uh, gold and silver, but uh, the uh, North American, you were talking about the English settlers, basically came for farmland and to expand the food supply. And when it comes to space, gee, a steak costs a heck of a lot up there. And I think that's probably going to be one of the first businesses in space is growing food. Um can it be done without artificial gravity? Um, I am not an expert, but I believe that um, there may be some uh, of these hydroponic. Um, I mean, certainly you've had astronauts growing lettuce and other things like that at the space station. Um, mm-hmm. But I think some of the hydroponic systems that have been tested on the ground uh, and others would allow for... Um, uh, some, some, some small scale, uh, uh, organic agriculture. Um, a, 
obviously on the surface of the moon you have some gravity uh enough certainly to help with uh um you know artificial rainfall and things like that to to help things grow um but you don't have you don't have a source of, of really good soil so um you know what do you have to mix with you know lunar regolith and will that work and you know what what can you do does it have to be uh is it a is it a purely hydroponic situation, or do you have some sort of soil-like material that a uh, medium for it to grow in? Uh, I don't know, but there's a lot of people thinking about that, and hopefully the more we start thinking about actually having humans on the surface of the moon, especially for longer periods of time, um, we're going to, you know, and, and I would hope that, I would hope that NASA... You know, let's a McDonald's or let's a you know uh, <laughs> uh, 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 a Chick Fil A. Um, although oh they have to be willing to serve food on Sunday too. You know, open, <laughs> open up, open up, uh, open up a, a, a quote unquote restaurant as a as an advertising benefit as well as a technology and innovation benefit to them uh, to to provide some food. Uh, 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 and and creativity on on the, on the moon, uh, I think that would be fantastic. I don't see why we can't do that. Uh, um, I don't I don't have this notion that that because NASA is a valuable institutional brand that we can't be smirched NASA with pedestrian commercial associations and things like that. I you know. We're we're not trying to get NASA into space. We're trying to get America into space, and America includes the Coca Cola Loco and the Golden Arches and um, the little the little emblem that reads Intel inside, and all those other you know famous trademarks and other emblems of American commerce. Yeah, the the direction I was going is: Does NASA really have? Any programs uh, in that direction, or is it all, uh, uh, you know, independent business labs uh, working problems? Well, I think that NASA. I mean, NASA has been funded, been funding and conducting life sciences and plant and agronomy research for how to grow things in space for a long time. So, um, so, so. So certainly, I mean, university researchers and, and perhaps even U.S. Department of Agriculture researchers have been thinking about how we grow things and how what foods we can do. Um, you know, there I believe that there's been some work in looking at using uh, 3D printers to print uh, food, perhaps even to generate, you know, artificial protein materials and things like that. Uh, you might very well see some of the... Uh, depending on, you know, what is going to be workable with limited power and limited raw materials in space. But can you, can you make, it's not meat or, you know what I'm saying, you know, beyond meat or whatever, these new artificial foods, can you make those in space in, in low gravity or in, you know, how much raw material and how much power do they need to operate? I mean, those sorts of pedestrian issues to generate food stuff that people who are working and living and doing research on the moon will want to eat. Um, not just, I mean, 
the amount of, I mean, if you look at the upmass needs of the International Space Station, a substantial fraction of that, um, there's some water, but there, a substantial fraction of it is food and clean underwear and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. As well as spare parts, and 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 then of course yeah. research materials, you know, samples and experiments and things like that. So um, a substantial fraction of it is actually stuff to support the crew, keeping the crew alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to be able. You're going to be able to do some logistics deliveries to the moon, especially if they're done using commercial rockets and commercial landers. The question will be how much of that will you be able to afford to do because, you know, how expensive will it it be to keep a person alive on the surface of the moon? And and the real question is, is can NASA sort of focus itself on driving down that cost? What do you Mm -hmm. have to do to drive down the cost of keeping a person alive on the surface of the moon? I mean, that's a really useful strategic goal to have mm-hmm. and a strategic metric to have to sort of like manage your program and manage your investment. You know, if, if, if you're just trying to consume X number of billions of dollars worth of humans on the moon, okay, that's fine. You're getting some amount of research and technology demonstration and risk reduction for Mars and maybe science on the moon getting done. That's great. That's good. But, you know, the real question is, is are you lowering the cost of being on the moon? And one of my concerns for the space station has been that it's really been about we've, been, we've learned how to operate not just a space station, but this space station, a space station that was launched by many, many, many shuttle flights and other rocket flights and involves a significant amount of human beings' time to keep it operating. And we, we, we've learned a lot. and We've learned perhaps a lot about what not to do in building, designing and building a space station. Um, and what we really need to be doing is getting moving to the second generation space stations and the third generation space stations as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, the space station we have was designed in the late 1980s and 1990s. Uh, um, I had some friends working on it, yes. <laughs> right, okay. And so the pace of technology elsewhere has been huge since yep. the 1990s, okay? Um, yep. And some of those applications of technology, like 3D printers, are already showing up at the space station and making a difference. But but the question is is if you if you if you if you created a, a method by which your space station could evolve and grow and mature and modernize itself over time, how much more valuable could it be? How much more efficient could it be? How much more more research outputs could you get? And that's really the question for me is is we need to focus on how many outputs of, you know, and, 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 and lacking some measure of research getting done or technology being risk reduced, then at least the number of human being hours 
is a is a is you know given that that's a big factor in whether or not you're getting something done on the moon that's a that's a good placeholder even though it's still an input an economic input to producing something it's a it's a good placeholder for the efficiency of the system if you could afford to have 10 people on the moon instead of 5 people on the moon because the cost per person went down and having more people lets you get more done on the moon, presumably, that's a, that's an improvement. That's 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 a breakthrough, and that's what we should be trying to do and do quickly, and not just have you know, you know, well, we bought a battleship twenty years ago and it still works the way it did twenty years ago, and and we still have it. So that we have a navy, okay? Well, no, we want to have other kinds of ships and other boats and other things too, and we want them to be more dynamic and more and and, and upgrade them and and improve them with time. Yeah, I like the battleship analogy. <laughs> Thank you. It, it was it was said as a as a hopefully loving criticism of of some NASA thinking. Hey, Marshall. <laughs> You missed our space agriculture programs toward the end of the year. We had three or four yeah. of them with really well-known people. I thought for sure you'd be calling. I, I would have liked to, but uh, <clears throat> the wife has other plans for me at times. Now, I, I will go out on the limb, Jim, and say Burger King is going to be the first one to do this because they this week have rolled out their Impossible Burger nationwide. <laughs> so uh, that means you can you can have a lower mass hamburger that tastes like a hamburger so they say um for less cost so you know um if people like it who knows well remember that um the commercial operation of mir however brief it was was partly funded by an investment from pizza hut um to have delivery of pizza at the space at at, at space station mir as i recall so um it's it's you know this is absolutely, you know, this is this is what we need. We need all of these normal, everyday, pedestrian, human level, ground level elements of our culture to participate in the migration of humanity into space. Yeah. We we need to stop thinking of space as this saintly, pure, purely, you know, scientific endeavor that is not that is that is devoid of you know, I mean, what is it the kids want to ask about space? The yeah. number one thing kids ask about space how, how is how do you go, go to, to the bathroom? bathroom? Right. Okay? The no, reason I, I is, was, where is was, they where have to go looking? to the bathroom. <laughs> it's something they understand, and they can sort of figure out that if you don't have gravity, it might be a problem. <laughs> okay? And it's a different place. Okay? So it's something that they, they can they can get their handle around. Okay? Plus, it's kind of fun, funny to talk about because it's going to the bathroom. It's like almost a secret thing you can't talk about in class. But, but, but the, the, that's that's wonderful. That's wonderful that 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 that, that kids want to ask about that because that's part of what it means to. Well, how would you go and live in space yourself? And what do we have to do to make it possible for more people to go and live in space? I can assure you that people, most people aren't going to go want to live in an environment that reportedly smells, as the space station does, and, 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 and has other hardships that people have to endure, you know, forever. So we'll, incre- we'll improve, we'll, you know, we'll go 
up the Michelin star ratings, you know, for space habitat. As we as we as we start to, to to advance our capabilities for human spaceflight, you get Michelin ratings down the road. <laughs> there you go. So I mean, I'm just I'm just it's 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 you know uh, we'd like to get the you know we'd like to get the space station or or a future you know laboratory in space a few a triple A diamonds you know you know whatever. Uh, but but that's what we want. Let me tell you a story, if I can, David, because I okay. it's kind of Ill- illustrative, um, um, and I think you're old enough you'll remember the name I'm going to use. Back in 1984, I was a um, uh, a a policy research assistant at the uh, in the White House Science Office at you know for working for the President Science Advisor Jay Keyworth, and. Um, I happened to be invited to go on the radio show to talk about the space station. And this was a few months after the president had announced the space station. And I'm sure most many people in the audience will recognize the name John Pike. Uh, and John Pike went on the radio in the first half an hour. They didn't have us on at the same time. Uh, and the show I was on was the Braden and Buchanan show. A lot of people remember that CNN used to have a show called Crossfire. Right. Well, the original Crossfire was a radio show in Washington on WRC Radio, uh, which was a news station back then. And um, and and sure enough, a a a um, you know wonderful old liberal curmudgeon named Tom Braden and Patrick J. Buchanan uh, were the were the regular stars at the show. And uh, of course, they were the stars at the beginning of of, of the of the uh, show on on TV on Crossfire. Um, but I was invited on the radio, and 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 John Pike went on, and John Pike basically said that there were you know mature you know bio biomedical research you could do on the space station, and materials research you could do on the space station. And actually did a fairly good job of saying the sorts of things that NASA was talking about doing on the space station back in 1984, and but said that it would cost more than it was supposed to. It was allegedly going to cost, and it wasn't really worth it, and that we should probably spend more. But his heart wasn't in it because he liked space, and he thought it would be a good idea to have a space station at some point. But this was Ronald Reagan, and he was the enemy, and you know, and he was for SDI, and that was all terrible. So, um, you know, he, he was sort of a, a mild critic of NASA starting the space station program. Well, I went on there, and I said, yes, what NASA is going to do is very cool, but what's really exciting is that it's going to teach us how to live and work in space. And I then proceeded to talk about the O'Neill vision. And I talked about how this is going to make it possible one day for, you know, thousands of people to live in space, for large space stations to be built that would employ hundreds of people, and those people would go out and build satellites that would collect solar energy and beam the energy environmentally cleanly down to the Earth to help, help us not depend on oil, Okay. And I laid out this whole vision. Now, as it turned out, Pat Buchanan wasn't on that day, and another conservative was on, and and he wanted to know whether there were military benefits of this. And I knew that NASA was trying to keep it all civilian, so I said, "Well, 
There could be, but there won't be, at least initially, and he didn't like that, but, you know, that was fine. But Tom Brady, this unreconstructed, not LBJ liberal, he was an FDR liberal, okay? He had been a liberal columnist for the, in newspapers forever, and he was absolutely disposed to not believe anything Ronald Reagan said or not agree with anything Ronald Reagan said. But by talking about this vision, okay, and he said, so you mean you would get up in the morning and go out and put a, put a helmet on, a spacesuit on, and go out and work and build a satellite? And I said, yes. That's the future that's possible if we start the human, you know, start to keep people living in space permanently. And he said, you amaze me, Mr. Muncie. And the reason he was excited why it was because it was a blue-collar future in space. It wasn't about just scientists and engineers and large corporations making billions of dollars. It was about average people getting to have a role in this great adventure. And he loved it. And I totally won the day. And I won the day with a skeptic of the interviewers because I said that's what it was about. And I said, now, listen, it's not going to happen right away. You're not going to do that with the first space station, but that's the point is you're starting to learn. You're starting to step into the ocean, and eventually you'll be able to go deep into the ocean, and eventually you'll be able to have a lot of people up there, and there will, in fact, be steel workers or aluminum workers or you know beam jacks in space that are construction workers that are building stuff because it will be economically, you know, it will pay off to do that because having a having a satellite in space generate electricity will be cheaper uh, and possible in space 24-7 that won't be possible on the ground. And, of course, you know, a lot has happened since then that made that not as, you know, made that a, a different future that's going to have probably evolve differently. But my point was, is that, that was the vision. That was why you needed to have a space station was because it was the first step to that larger future. And he totally got it. So my my point is, and that was like, that was literally 36 years ago, David. 36 years ago. Now there's no, now, no one associated with a space station is, is, is trying to work on that or trying to make that happen, or very few are. But but whatever we do with the remaining 10 years of the space station's life, or however long it is, and however we manage this transition, we absolutely have to make, make it about how do we have more people in low Earth orbit doing beneficial things more cheaply and able to do more? How do we make it more productive for people to be in space? Because that will create a demand for people in space. And as they become economically beneficial, there will be more people who fly to space and more rides purchased and more flights and more rockets built and more space stations built. And the normal sorts of wonderful magic of Adam Smith's invisible hand will will take hold and we will see an expansion of human settlement into space. That's what the space station should be about. That's a very, very simple example, but that's really what 
what we should be trying to accomplish. And we should hold our policymakers, and we should hold NASA, and we should hold the aerospace companies to account for that. And not, not let them say, oh, that's a great vision for someday, but, you know, what we need is, you know, $24 billion or $25 billion now so we can have a bigger space station in lunar orbit or so we can have a, be- you know, a, 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 a better lander that can carry astronauts better or something like that. No. What we need is the goal. And the goal should drive what we invest in and drive how we manage the program. Marshall, do you have anything more to add, or I'll clear the line? No, I, I think the appropriate answer is hoorah. <laughs> Thank you, Marshall. <laughs> Bye. Uh, listeners, the line is available. If you would like to call and, and talk to Jim, it is 1-866-687-7223. And email remains Dr. Space, D-R-S-P-A-C-E, at thespaceshow.com. Martha is in Las Vegas with an email and says, Jim, how do you assess the progress of reaching that goal? I mean, how close are we to achieving that goal? Or how are we doing? That's kind of how I took her. Okay, so so I think that because... There are a lot of really smart, really visionary, um, really hardworking people in various entrepreneurial companies and in large to large companies and inside NASA that we are fumbling our way there, that we are making progress, that we are, as I said, this year, four different ways to get into space, two of them into orbit and two of them into suborbit. And don't think that those suborbital flights won't be a hugely beneficial way to test out technologies and test out methods and test out, you know, astronauts' abilities and things like that that will contribute to the orbital economy as well. So, um, so I think, I think we're making progress. But we're making progress, I don't want to say in spite of ourselves because, again, I mean, Everyone knows that Elon Musk is doing what he's doing because he wants to have a planetary civilization live on Mars, okay? Right. And that Jeff Bezos was inspired by reading The High Frontier and does want to make space colonies happen, okay? And there are a lot of other people who work with those those two individuals or work with Richard Branson or work with various um, just as important entrepreneurs out there uh, and, and, you know, including the smart guys who make the Cygnus for Northrop Grumman, et cetera, you know, they, they are all in their own way trying to make a buck today in a way that's sort of consistent with an enabling of that vision because they all have it. One more story. Ten years ago, um, uh, actually, a year, a year, uh, eleven years ago, in 2009, the uh, the uh, Obama administration appointed a commission to look into NASA's human spaceflight program, which was then called Constellation. It was the it was the Augustine Commission, okay? And they produced a report, and some people liked it, some people didn't like it. But at the very beginning of their process, they got together. And they said, "Well, why are we doing this? Why are we not? Why are we having this commission? But why, 
are we doing human spaceflight anyways? And you had these very non-visionary, I don't want to say, they they weren't people that you would think of as visionary, okay? I think they all were visionary in one way or another, but they weren't, they didn't come across as, you know, as salesmen of, you know, space ideas or, or space colonies or something. They weren't L5 members, okay? But they all said in different ways at the very first meeting that the reason we're going is because we're going to live there someday. And they all said, okay, well, that we've, we've got that figured out. Then that's really why we're, why we're going to do this and what we, should, what we should sort of measure everything by. And my client, Jeff Grayson, who was on the commission, said, stop. That's really important. We need to write that down and tell the American people and tell the president and tell the Congress that our assumption is that we want to go live there someday. So the more we can consciously do that, the more we can, you know, factor the idea, the long-term goal into what we do today, the better off we'll be and the faster we'll get there. Well, um, are we – other company, other countries have um, participation in the, in the space station and, and have space programs and – is this contagious, do, or are we talking about something that's unique to the American experience? No, I think China absolutely sees it. I think China sees space and sees cislunar space exactly like they see the South China Sea, as a navigable waters that, with resources and important things that they want to dominate and they want I don't mean dominate in a in a in an evil way I just they want to have a dom a, a very strong presence in space economically perhaps militarily and in other ways as a, as a nation to show that they are a great nation on the earth and to be influential of other nations, whether or not they're in space, it's not. It's not just like the. It's not like the moon race where the Soviet Union and the United States were sort of racing against each other to see which system was stronger, or which nation was the most advanced technologically, and therefore, should you go communist? With and be allied with the Soviets, or should you go democratic and capitalist and ally with the United States and, and Western Europe? That isn't that that isn't that isn't what I'm talking about. I'm saying that China sees itself very much as a modern day incarnation of the Middle Kingdom, as the as the, as the China that hasn't yet destroyed its fleet. And that is exploring the world and is engaging in commerce in the world and is capable and strong and muscular and, un- and unchallenged. And they want to do that in space. It's absolutely part of their national identity and their history. They see themselves. So by, by comparison, we're Johnny-come-lately. We've only been around for 250 years. 
okay, as a nation. So, uh, you know, they see themselves as having, even though, you know, the People's Republic of China has only existed for uh, 90 years, 91 years, um, they absolutely see themselves as, you know, a part of historic China and the civilization that has been been there for, you know, well over a thousand years. Europe, I don't, I don't, I don't see Europe sees its space that way. I see Europe sees human spaceflight as something they want to participate in because they are a great nation or a great economic block, and that they want to be part of as well and not be left behind. Um, Japan, I don't, I don't. I'm not sure I understand what they think. I think they do see that space is important to them as an island nation to give them new resources and new access to uh, energy and things like that, um, as well as important for their defense, increasingly as important for their defense as they're part of it. And I think India has some similar thoughts about you know, the strength of their nation and, and being able to stand up to China. Um, but not really necessarily in the in the way that we think of space as a frontier. Um, so, but I, I I mean I think I think you know I, I was at a conference a few months ago and I and I had the opportunity to listen to a panel of experts in China. These are people who work for the Defense Department or you know in other other agencies of the government or industry that are focused on how China does things economically and how China does things strategically. And they aren't trying to have an Apollo program to beat us in space. They're trying to have a commercial dominance of space, like Great Britain, like the, like the, like the fleets before the Ming Dynasty tore them up. That's what they want in space. Where is Russia in this? Nowhere. Capable to harass and, 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 and irritate us. Still a tremendous amount of heritage and, 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 and expertise. But, but they're just not... Every year that passes um, is another year of lost heritage and memory from when they had funding. And with some suppressed oil revenues and other things, you know, they, they, they may be getting they may be getting more funding than they were ten or twenty years ago, but you know, as we, as we move our focus from the space station to the moon, the question will be what can they contribute with their own money? And I think they'll have a very small role, as opposed to a as, as a co-equal role, you know, at space station. Um, I have another question, and we're listeners. We're getting close to the end of the program. If you want to get a call in, uh, you need to to do so uh, quickly. One eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. Email Doctor Space at the Space Show dot com. 
And Larry is in Miami, and I honestly don't know which Miami, Larry, so I'll just assume you're in Florida. And uh, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry about that. Um, Jim, how do you think this vision will play out in the coming uh, elections that are coming up, uh, not just for president, but maybe also for members of Congress in space districts where there are space activities going on? Uh, is this part of the kind of vision that, that sells and gets people elected to Congress or the presidency, or will it not show up? I don't, I, I, I don't see... I mean, certainly to the extent that space is seen as a government agency with a $20 billion budget that's doing some interesting things and funding scientific research and making some universities and a few large companies and a few commercial companies happy because they're spending money with them, that's really not a dominant national issue. Um, I think because... Trump has had a space council and engaged more in space and talked so much about uh, the importance of progress in space um, that there will be more attention on it at the national level. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the Democratic nominees will say about space. Um, will they... Will they say that Trump didn't go fast enough or didn't cut back on the waste enough and and privatize enough? Or will they say that Trump has made space too much about economics and too much about commercial things and not scientific not not scientific enough and therefore we're we're spending too much perhaps on human spaceflight? I don't know. Um, I don't think it'll be dispositive. I think it'll make us it'll make a difference in Florida, but I think Trump's going to win Florida anyways. Um, there may be a few other states where um, where it has some impact. It might have some impact for Cory Gardner in Colorado or, or a few other uh, uh, races out there. Um, we had a caller from Oklahoma. It'll be interesting to see how the chairwoman of the House Space Subcommittee does, who's a freshman this year, uh, you know, in this Congress. Uh, she was given a very important subcommittee chairmanship, and uh, um, I think in many ways, you know, I, I think she's been, you know, very intelligent and thoughtful. But I don't think she's really led, perhaps, on some issues the way I think people in the community expected her to. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I honestly, I honestly don't think it'll be that big a deal. But to the extent that China makes more news. And and that um, people talk about it, we'll see. It's it's it. I think the news of Americans flying to space and flying to the specifically flying to the space station again on American rockets launched from American soil in American spacecraft. I think that will make a huge difference, and that will be newsworthy. And Trump will naturally, you know, take some credit for that. Um, and I would hope that the Democrats remind the president that Barack Obama started the commercial crew program, and actually there were some roots of it in the Bush administration. So 
investments were made over a decade to get us here. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't, it isn't, doesn't, that at least doesn't have to be a partisan issue. Um, I just hope, I just hope the Democrats are thoughtful enough and, and pro-space enough to want to claim it, uh, for themselves as well. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I happen to think the Trump administration has done a lot of good on space because of the National Space Council. And I think it deserves a lot of credit, but that's not something that people are going to see and say, okay, great work. He did a better job of managing space as a national issue and forcing NASA and other agencies to sort of work together and talk through big, big things um, and, you know, advance regulatory reform for space launch and remote sensing and other things. That's not going to, that's not going to translate into votes. But the fact that he was thinking about space may be part of his generally positive futuristic image. I don't see. But, you know, the fact is is that Trump is really a, a, a tremendously divisive Rorschach test for people. You know, either he's the devil or he's wonderful. And uh, we've sort of, in our country, we've sort of forced ourselves into this huge dichotomy of, 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 of what we think about national politics now. And it's very hard to have a conversation about substance and strategy and, and vision um, when, by definition, everything the other person says is horrible lies and and even and and um, you know hateful and everything and vice versa. I mean, it's all. I mean, it's both sides. I'm not. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm saying that neither side can talk to each other right now. Well, maybe they could do so over space. It would, you know, it would be great. I mean, we 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 brought the U.S. and the Soviet Union a little closer together with space uh, back in 1975, and again uh, in the post-Soviet era in the 90s with space station. You know, maybe we could bring, you know, uh, you know tr- the the the, the and the and the and the resistors. Uh, together, you know, a little bit by talking about space, the future of space and, and Amer- for America, but you'll pardon me if I don't hold my breath. I mean, I'm, space colonies are a hard enough lift. I, I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll imagine political peace in our time next week. Uh, um, sort of a Republican-Democratic flight like the Apollo Soyuz test flight where they <laughs> go up in a in a There you go. Go That's up in, in a Boeing capsule we, and a we, space we need we need have we need Pelosi and McCar- McCarthy to go up on a flight on Virgin Virgin Galactic from Mojave, you know, from McCarthy's district. You know, and then we'll you know they they're both from California. You know, if they fly northward they should be able to see down to the Bay they might be able to see down to the Bay Area. You know? That would be it. That would be good. Well, um, maybe they're listening. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, what should we have talked about? We're close to the end of the program. Have we missed anything? Is there anything else that you want to I just to think it's a really exciting year. I mean, I, I am very, on the one hand, I am, you know, very motivated and excited that we're here at this time. And you could not ask for a more dynamic, um, 
you know, we, we are, we're extremely pregnant in our national space enterprise right now. We have a lot of really great things going on that are going to come to fruition over the next year or two or three, and, and then even more beyond, okay? And, and that's great. That's truly wonderful. And a whole lot of people's, you know, life's work and ambitions and bank accounts were spent on various projects that failed that got us to this point. And so we should take a moment and reflect on, you know, the last three and a half decades of so-called space commercialization and, and be proud that we're getting to a point where things are really taking off, literally. And, um, and at the same time, at the same time, um, I have this crazy idea that we should literally measure what we're doing in space as a nation by something more than where's the money being spent and, and who's getting it and are we getting enough science done to look like we're doing something useful and instead, you know, measure ourselves by to what extent as a nation are we looking upwards and seeing ourselves in that future of, of space um, space settlement. And uh, that's what I want. I want, I want something, I want, I want what this is supposed to enable, because commercial human spaceflight is supposed to enable that future. And the reason I fought so hard for commercial human spaceflight over the last few decades was to enable this future. And so I'm, un- I'm impatient. I'm already on to the next thing. I'm already fighting for how do we, how do we, how do we really start focusing on the core issue of making it cheaper and better for human beings to be in space and do whatever creative, crazy things they can think of doing in space. Well, I I think we're going to see us move toward that. I really do. Because there doesn't seem to be any shortage of of good ideas. I, I hear lots of them all the time. Exactly. And, um, and, And more keep coming... Uh, coming up by people who seem to be uh, capable and competent. So absolutely, uh, I I think that's a big. We change. do grow them in. We do grow them in this country. We grow people like that. Absolutely, and 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 that's very important. Um, and they come in all colors and in all creeds and all cultural backgrounds, and they come from other countries and they come from totally weird backgrounds. And they and they bring their ideas and their vision and their passion and their creativity to this adventure. And it's um, we are a blessed nation and a blessed people that we can we have the confidence as a people and as individuals and as families to work on big challenges like this. And you know um, it's great. And and I'm. You know, I, I hope to live long enough to see more of it unfold. Uh, absolutely, and um, it's a good way to be uh, starting the year and, and focusing and thinking about what you're saying. It'll hold us on focus for the balance of this year for sure. And, uh, Jim, I, I want to thank you very much for sharing two hours of your time with us today, and um, we'll check in with you later in the year and see how we're doing. But, great. Um, a gr- great way to, to focus forward and to uh, – 
have a lot of momentum and energy because things are looking good. And I, I agree with you completely. Great, and I and I wish the best and happy New Year to everyone out there who, or who listens to this on the podcast. And just you know, take on that challenge this year. It'll 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 be worth it. Um, absolutely, I'll let you know when I'm archived and up with the program. And again, we thank you and uh, listeners. Again, the Tuesday program is going to start at 6 p.m. instead of 7. Uh, everything will be up on the newsletter. And um, goodbye from Jim, David, and the Space Show. Everybody have a great rest of the weekend. Keep looking up and be safe. Good night, everybody.